We're back. Welcome to season six of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I want to tell you, I love to bike ride. It's my favorite daytime activity. And my nighttime favorite activity is playing piano. And I'm in the middle of all of that. I like to watch TV and play video games and stuff. Support us by supporting our sponsors, Crave Jerky, F2C Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Smashfest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Hi, Haley. I'm tempted to say welcome back, but I guess our listeners might not have realized that it's, you know, been a little bit since you and I actually talked to each other since our predictions were recorded the week before last. But I do want to say hello again, and I am back from Hawaii. I'm excited to talk to you this week. Yes. Welcome home to you. Welcome home from the big island of Hawaii. I hope all your coaching went well. I want, I, I do want to ask all about Kona and you know, your time there working for Smash, your time there coaching and spectating. Well, I don't even know where to begin, but have you ever gone over to not race? I guess is a good place to start. I have not gone to Kona and not raced. No, I haven't. I've been to other Ironmans and not raced, like cheered or coached, but not Kona. Okay. So Kona, I feel is crazy and tiring. Like I feel like if you're racing the week before the race is actually much easier if you are racing because you should be just doing your workouts and then getting back in the air conditioning of some sort or multiple fans or something like that and staying off your feet. I've been going the past, I think this is year three, maybe year four to work the expo for smash fest queen and also be able to coach my athletes who have qualified there. So this year I had one athlete, Lauren, who was racing and she had just broken her collarbone six weeks ago. So this was a big one for us to have gotten her to that start line anyway. So she was there this week and then the expo was going on Monday to Friday and Haley, it's changed a little bit through the years because it used to be like, we get up, do a workout, do the expo, then probably do another workout or go out to dinner, maybe get a couple of my ties, you know, relax a little bit in the evenings. But now we're getting old Haley and there's children involved. So the week that's like seemingly always endless just got even more endless because now we get up, we squeeze our workout in from like 530 to seven and then we expo from 730 to 530 or six. And then when we get home, we have to like reprieve the husbands who had been taking care of the babies all day. And so then we're on childcare duty and answering the work emails, you know, coaching and stuff that have piled up through the day. So let me tell you, it's crazy to be that the whole week was just kind of a blur. And who is we in this situation and whose children are these? Because I don't believe you have any children unless you adopted one while you were in Kona. No, I, I tried to steal her. But so uh, I was there with Hillary Biscay, uh, who's my coach, and then Michelle Landry, who Hillary and Michelle are the founders of Smash Fest Queen and Michelle has a baby girl. She just turned three, actually. Um, Sky was there. And then Hillary has Madison, a two-year-old, and baby Hill. And he is, geez, eight months old now, I guess. So there's a lot of baby action, a lot of, like, runny noses and coughing. And so if you hear me, it's like a combination of jet lag and baby germs all over me because we also had to make one trip to the urgent care, as if the week wasn't busy enough, because poor baby Madison did... We all took our eyes off of her for Haley. I swear, like no more than 30 seconds. And the poor child must have run straight into the bedside table where there's a nice sharp corner because none of these places are baby proofed. And it was wild. I mean, I don't get very squeamish with cuts and bruises or whatever, anything, broken bones, things like that. I mean, I think it's gross to look at, but I'll look at it and it doesn't faze me too much. 
And this was pretty gnarly. I mean, I looked at that for one second. We shined a flashlight on it and I was like, oh boy, we have to go get stitches. So thank you to the Aloha Urgent Care. I can definitely recommend them. They had a pediatrician on late night duty and stitched her right up for us, but four stitches for one of them. But that was the most catastrophic thing that we had happened to us, I think, all week. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, it was literally Groundhog Day over and over, but the booth went really well. Um, Smash was releasing a few of their Kona items, which I think is a popular thing to do for the brands that kind of come in for the expo. And coaching-wise, Lauren went above and beyond. I think, you know, for anyone out there who might have an injury right now and might be trying to kind of still be race ready soon. Lauren should be your inspiration because she, this woman literally trusted me (laughs) with so much and had such an open mind to do the things that I was having her do, which included a lot of one arm swimming with fins for the past few weeks. Um, a lot of hiking, all sorts of things like that. And she stayed really fit and she, she came in at 1104, which is, you know, I think it would have been a great day had she had two normal arms for the, for the event. So all good things, just very busy. And then the travel home to the East coast Haley is always a bit tough, but can't complain too much when I have a tan now. And I'm a little bit, I've gotten plenty of vitamin D to last me for a while. And on my travel home, I was catching up on all the things I have been missing. And I saw pictures of you running in snow. Please tell me, like, how does that happen that you have the complete opposite weather that I have been happening? (laughs) Because I'm in Montana and not in the island of Hawaii. I do want to, I do want to hear more, a little bit more about Hawaii before I talk about my snowy adventures because, well, congratulations to Lauren. But then did you catch this pro race there? Because it was incredible. I mean, I think or not even the pro race, age group race, everything, all the records <laughs> were broken, like every record ever. I mean, by not just a little bit, we had Danielle Arif breaking the overall women's record by 22 minutes. I mean, I I never thought I would see an 826 happen in Kona by a woman and it did. So what was that like? Did you get to catch any of that? So we actually went to bed on Friday thinking like, ooh, this is going to be an epic year because they were saying this it's going to be like flooding and stormy all day. And surely that, you know, we thought that meant crazy, just weather patterns and windy and whatever. And then we wake up on race day and it did. It poured all night. It's, it kind of stormed through the night. And then race morning, Haley, was the most picture perfect race morning I've ever seen in Kona all the years that I've been there. It really was like just very calm. Uh, you know, you've been there on some of the years when like you're trying to get into Digby beach and you're just getting like blasted back by the waves. Like it was peaceful. And then there was like a slight cloud cover, you know, like everything was just like, Oh, this is nice. You know? And I go, I go out to Kauai high. So we see the swimmers come out and then we wait for our athletes to kind of come out of the water onto their bike. So we do get to see the pro women's race early, which is great. So I can tell you, I saw Lucy heading out on the bike and she was with a group of men that she had caught on the swim, which was awesome to see. However, I am just interested. Like I'll be very interested if they make changes for the future. Like now that the women are just swimming at that level, right? I mean, are we going to change the race so that the women can't get mixed up with the pro men to that level? she was being perfectly fair and everything I saw, like that was just where she came out. And, but it does, it changes the race. You know, it makes you like, if you have a pack of men to be riding with legally, right. That's a very different speed than the ladies pack typically is. So that's a different ball game. And it's certainly to her, you know, and she swims that fast, so she gets it. But should we be allowing that to even be a possibility to be happening? I don't know. I'm not the person to solve that, but I do think there are things we can make better to make a more fair women's race just from the start, from what I did see there. It is kind of weird that, I mean, I know it's the timing of sunlight and when, you know, sunrise and everything like that, but it's interesting to me that, you know, you can have rates like Augusta 70.3 that I just did where there's time to have a 10 minute gap between the men and female pros. But then in Kona, there's only time to have a five minute gap. And you'd think at the world championship, they would, you know, make a bigger gap, but I think it does, it must have to do with the age groupers and what time they're starting. And the midnight finish. The midnight yeah, finish the there midnight. is so big, right? But so, doesn't it go, does it go till 1220 now? Oh, great question. I, I think, think it does because okay. the age group women don't start until 720. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're right. Like, why can't we find the time? At least a few minutes more, right? It doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, seven. We can go tell till twelve twenty-five, right? I think yeah. ten. It just seems like that. I mean, Lucy's. I mean, a fantastic swim, incredible swim, swim course record from Lucy. But if a pro man is swimming ten minutes slower than Lucy, like that's. I mean, I guess it's possible to you know if you are a really fast cyclist and runner. Yeah, I mean. And it's hard because there are certainly male pros, I think, especially that are poor swimmers and then they can hammer the bike in the run and they kind of put themselves back into at least the middle of the pack. But I mean, she was out with, I want to say she was in Lionel's pack. So it's not like she was with, you know, I mean, he has worked on his swim a lot. He's not a terrible swimmer. You know, I haven't looked at again, all the results to see exactly what he swam and that sort of thing. But don't think it was Lionel's best day <laughs> from uh, from what I saw online. I will say I did get to watch a lot of the coverage and it is interesting. I mean, I know there was a lot, there were a lot of people writing in and saying, you know, where are the women? Cause I will admit when I first tuned in, I missed the, I was running in the snow. So I missed, um, and then I had to do some gym stuff. So I couldn't be in front of the computer for the first part of the day. So I, I didn't get tune in until about halfway through the bike, but I think I was on for 20 or 30 minutes before I even saw the women's race. And, you know, I don't, again, I didn't set a timer and, you know, count the minutes for men versus women, but it certainly felt like there were more, more men's coverage than women's. And then I know it is hard, you know, they only have so many cameras, they only have so many helicopters and everything like that. But it was, it was a little bit disheartening and you do see why certain people, you know, get a lot, a lot of attention. And then other people like you don't even necessarily know that they're in the race. Well, and this just seemed like this was the first year we were live on, not we, the race was live on NBC, like the actual NBC for 90 minutes in the start. And then I think they came in for one other live thing. And then maybe again at the end, or they did a recap or something, but I mean, that's huge. And so to, really, you know, it could have been a great opportunity to throw a lot more resources perhaps into that and really show viewers what's going on and maybe get more people excited about Ironman who wouldn't normally think it's a spectator friendly sport and make it as interesting as we possibly could by showing some of the women just, you know, again, based, this was not really, I didn't see the coverage. So it's going off of what I've heard from other people and from the, the Twitter sphere and stuff like that. And it does seem like you know, they got a lot of Lucy and Daniela time, but there was a lot going on back there. And those, you know, like the women were making moves for sure and working to be catching them. And so, yeah. you know, that's the kind of interesting stuff. That's where you get Iron Man to be spectator friendly. You know, it's nice to look at Danielle and Lucy racing off the front, but the the action is still there. And so... I think they said there were problems with the motorbikes or something, but I would bet there just weren't motorbikes there or something like that because I, I seem like, I don't know, I find it hard to believe they couldn't find any bike to get back there and cover them. So it's that was that was disappointing to hear. To the credit of the people watching, I mean, I did watch and it was one of those things I didn't think I would sit down and watch for as long as I did. And, and part of it was I was on the bike and um, I do have a TV in my garage, so I'm kind of for, fortunate set up there, but it it was hard. I couldn't stop watching. It was so, it was so good to watch. And it is one of those things like the time went by and it, but it was really well done and it is exciting racing. And yes, I realize I'm in the sport, but I think at certain points there were like 60,000 people watching. You could see that. And I mean, and these people were engaged, they were writing in and people were like, where's Lionel? Where's Lionel? You do see like, you know, they wanted to know where Lionel was. They're like, where's Sarah true, you know, and on the run, like, show anyhow passing Sarah true, you know, because that was a really, you know, a big move at the end, anyhow, running up into third place, people wanted to see that. So I'm really, really happy about these, you know, about these people who are watching the spectators and they are voicing their opinion. And I really am hopeful that Iron Man is listening. So everyone keep writing in, you know, keep voicing those opinions because I think things will change. Yeah. And I heard, Dee Dee and Michael Lovato, Dee Dee Griesbauer, Michael Lovato and Jan Frodeno. And he was not racing this year. I guess he got to make a guest appearance and commentate, but I heard some really positive things from them, from listeners to listening to them because the insight from them as pros themselves or, um, you know, racing and knowing the tactics and kind of giving a little bit more details into what could be going on and that sort of thing, I think is really helpful just for people as they learn the sport. I think it's really helpful for amateurs just watching as fans 
for their own races in the future to hear some of this stuff. So that's definitely a win there. And I think, you know, we're headed in the right direction, but, and again, it's, you know, I think it's great. Growing pains. There's always some growing pains, right? And so hopefully Iron Man is listening and it's, it was cool. It was fun to watch. Yes. After my, my snowy run, we got it like something like five or it felt like five or six inches. I'm not sure if it was quite that many, but it was, it was a lot of snow on Saturday morning and I was not expecting it. And, um, I had planned to meet one of my athletes for a track workout and I was like, well, we're just going to go do it. So we did. It was really miserable and really fun at the same time, which I guess is how most things I feel like in this sport are, but, um, it was cold. It was miserable. I wasn't quite ready, but we got it done and I think we're a little better for it. And then I can report that today I ran outside and it is blue skies, warm. I was wearing a tank top and shorts. So things can change pretty quick and it is not winter yet. I think stuff like that, Haley, is actually super important. I've always tried to be as much as safe, right? An all weather type of athlete where I will, I'll go ride and when it's like pissing down rain and it's miserable and it's just not fun to do, I'll go do it, you know, and I'll just make myself get out the door. I've, I've actually shoveled a track. If you ever need, I remember that. that. I remember when you did that. We didn't have a shovel. We just ran in it. (laughs) But you know, and I, I think things like that are character building and it's important and right. And like you're experienced enough that if conditions were making it a little slower than you wanted, things like that, you could adjust and not have it, you know, create the sense of panic of what do I do? And I think actually the other race of the weekend, Ironman Louisville was like a great testament to be able to maybe go through some of that in training days, some days, because surprise, surprise, everyone who's used to Louisville being, you know, I, I think the, older you are, you might remember it being like very hot when it was back in August, but still in October, yeah, you never think it's going to be freezing, like 40 to 50 degrees and raining, right? Like that's the last weather you would think of for Louisville. So I think a lot of those athletes, like I know I saw it in mine who were racing. They're the ones that have put themselves in uncomfortable positions training. They were okay. You know, we're just going to roll with it and do it. And I think so Hopefully that's what you got out of your, your session too. Oh, I know. I, I, yeah, hopefully we'll see. I don't know if I ever want a 45 degree Ironman day. I wouldn't mind like 60 degrees, but 45 is a little chilly, but congratulations to Jen Spielden, our first Ironman. And she took the win there. That was impressive. Yeah. Really impressive. Another one where I guess the, the swim got cut to 0.9 miles, I think, because the river yeah, but then they swam okay. like 12 minutes. So if you do the math on that, if you're swimming 0.9 miles in 12 minutes, you're swimming like faster than Katie Ledecky. Yeah. I think it was really, <laughs> so really either, flowing. So the river was flowing. <laughs> yeah, I think like, so. How do you get out of that? Like, I'm really, really, I need, we need to get someone from Louisville on this podcast because I'm really interested in the logistics of that because that is a giant river. I think there was some, a point where they, they, they basically said you also had to abandon like making the turn at the right side of the buoy or whatever, because no one would have been able to swim against the current in whatever way they had to. So I think, I think things were softened, like the rules were softened so that you could get out of the current, but we will, we'll have to find out exactly what happened there. Yes. Well, congratulations to everyone who raced there and you are some tough people. Great work. And then we do have to circle back though, Haley, to our Kona predictions. So did you have a chance to take a look at who won me, you, Sarah, Ashley, how did this all shake out? Or Emily. Emily. Um, so I did, I wrote out everyone's predictions. We were kind of all similar. I think Sarah, Sarah, I declare as the winner because she had picked Daniela for the win, Rennie for second, Sarah true for third. And then Annie Haug as her dark mare. So she picked basically four of the top five, which I think gives her the, the win. I don't know if you can call Annie Haug a dark mare. I really want to, uh, we need to have some, yeah, we need to have some, like, uh, some like clarification on what qualifies as a dark mare. If someone's gotten third at the 70.3 world championship, like a couple weeks earlier, can they be called a dark mare? I don't think so. And that actually reminds me, Haley, I think we had the same podium from 70.3 worlds to Kona world championships. I don't think that's happened. I don't think it's happened either. That has to be very unique. Um, I know it was very impressive. Daniela with the win, Miranda Carr or not Miranda, Lucy Charles is second. And then, uh, Annie Haug as third at both races. So very strong women to be able to do both of those races and have great performances at both. There is hope for me still then at the 70.3 distance. That's what I'll just tell myself. (laughs) I know, right? Like it is obviously the skills do translate. At least they translate 
in that direction. So we'll, I don't know about going backwards. We have some mailbag. I think we, we have some mailbag questions. We do. Right? So Haley, our first question here is from Lindsay and she is training for her Ironman and half her battle is saddle comfort. So she has gotten fit. So she has a good bike fit and that has helped her optimize what saddle is good for her. So that's great. That's like step number one, but she's curious about what to do to prevent chafing. So, and then I guess part two of this question is if you have gotten chafed, what's the best practice and items to heal up in order to not have to take time off your bike because you're training for an Ironman. Okay. Chafing. Um, my first question for Lindsay would be if she uses chamois cream, because I think that can make a big difference. And I like the Zelios betwixt. Um, I am sponsored by Zelios. So like I said, as a plug for <laughs> sponsor, but it, I think it works great. I use it for everything for chamois cream. I use it for my wetsuit. It's very like the ingredients are very skin friendly, earth friendly. So it's not going to ruin your clothes. So you can use it quite liberally. And I find, you know, it, it works really well and I don't usually have any chafing problems. And then my second tip would probably be her shorts, like check out her shorts and just make sure that they are, you know, in good quality because workout clothes, all types of workout clothes get worn out fairly fast. I mean, we sweat in them, we wash them a lot, they get really dirty. And so I think you want to make sure that, you know, your shorts are in good condition, the chamois in good condition, and there isn't like a seam or something that's causing chafing. I agree. I'm a super liberal user of chamois cream. I think that's a great invention and that will help you a ton if you're not using that already. And with the shorts too, also make sure they fit right. After spending a week getting women into tri kits and cycling kits and looking at what size they want to buy versus what size actually fits them. Ladies, you can all probably size down often in your cycling clothes. They're supposed to be tight, right? And so you want to wear what's comfortable for you, but you don't want it to be baggy or loose or shifting around or anything like that because that is going to get you chafed. And it also, it looks very pro, I will say, if you have it fitting right and like fit tight, you're, you can do it. I promise. Like you're going on your bike ride, you can wear the tighter cycling shorts and it looks good. Like it's it's all in your head. If you think it doesn't, it looks good to like be fit properly with that. I am so guilty of that, of wearing too big of bike shorts for so long. And it is Hillary Biscay. And then also Lauren Palmer have forced me into smaller sizes and the smaller sizes are better. I will say that. So thank you, Lauren and Hillary for changing my life and great advice, Alyssa. I will also say too. So if you are chafed, I think just like, honestly, the chamois cream, like you said, it has skin friendly, like elements to keep your skin, like healing, hopefully as you're trying not to get more chafing, you can also get saddle sores, like from the chafing, I think. And so if you're having that, like, I don't know if we want to go down this road, but some people will take care of those themselves and kind of pop it. I think some people have to go to a doctor if it gets that bad. I've never had to do that, but I do know that tea tree oil, like one time I was like, well, I'll try this. And so I went to Trader Joe's, got some tea tree oil. I don't know if it really helped. I think again, the chamois cream just made it bearable to keep riding through any of those issues. So chamois cream, maybe we can get an iron woman. Well, maybe Zelios, maybe I'll have to try Zelios too. And then we can go from there. I'll hook you up. But great question, Lindsay. And hopefully we uh, answer your question and gave you some things to try. Okay, Haley, we have another mailbag question today. And this comes in from Ashley. And she has a question in regard to setting multi-year goals that include big life changes along the way. So she's hooked on triathlon. This is her second year. She never really saw herself as a competitive athlete, but that's all begun to change in her mind as she's been racing now and she has a very supportive community. So she has some big goals coming up in the future that include maybe like ITU age group world championships just in the sprinter Olympic distance. So, but she is at a point in her life where she wants to start a family and she knows that being pregnant and becoming a family and becoming a parent is going to be a big change in life. And how do we like balance racing goals? Do we put those on the back burner and about the uncertainty of what life looks like while you're pregnant and when you're a parent and so she wraps it all up by asking for our thoughts on how to create a multi-year racing training strategy that fits in with other life changes. Alyssa, do you feel qualified to answer a question about life as an athlete while pregnant and as a parent? We should probably add the disclaimer that <laughs> as non-parent, non-parents, we might not be the best 
to answer this question, but we can definitely give you some perspective. You've, you've definitely coached people though, oh, who've gone sure. through pregnancy and exactly. returned to sport. So I think, I think you are qualified. I think it's, so this isn't coming from personal experience though, but you can put on your coaching hat. We put on our coaching hats and we can, uh, you know, answer this question that way. And so I guess I would start by saying that pregnancy will come first, right? If you're going to have a child and that in itself is going to be kind of like a major transition, right? So I have coached several athletes who have been pregnant while we were working together and it's, it's just different. And I think that will help you realize that you no longer want to take that long-term vision of like looking at season over season of what things could look like and how things will plan out you're going to start taking it day by day because when you're pregnant, you will for a long time in certain periods of that pregnancy probably feel quite different from day one to day two. And that's going to help you kind of learn to roll with that and kind of see life as an athlete more in that in the moment, in the day, and then maybe one day forward time frame. And then I, I would guess that that will help you carry that into parenthood as well, because I think that's very similar. I think one of the biggest rules that I see that works well as people have kids and have big goals with triathlon is, especially with a sprint or Olympic distance, you can do so much if you give yourself an out like 60 to 90 minutes during the weekday and maybe a little longer on the weekends. And if you're willing to be even more sleep deprived than you will be as a parent, then, you know, get up early, knock that out before anyone's even awake and or after they go to bed, if that's what you prefer. And I think you will still be totally fine, but it's it's not going to be easy. You're going to be super tired and it's going to be a lot to juggle at times and things will have to have a give and take. And that's okay. I mean, that's that's I promise that's what every other parent is doing out there. There's give and take no matter what social media might make it look like no one is nailing it all when they're balancing that many life things. A great answer. I do think, I think that is, you know, take everything one step at a time. Those early morning workouts I think are important for anyone. I mean, I've never been a parent, but I've had a job that had a quite a few hours and that was, I had to always, always do the morning workouts because things always come up later in the day. And you know, if, you know, if you can get that 60 minute window in, in the morning, and now there are so many tools, there are so many indoor trainers, you can get a Wahoo, you can get, you know, any kind of setup that allows you to do it at home and that will make everything more time efficient. And so if you only have an hour, you really can do a good workout in an hour. And I think doing that, you know, is you can get a lot done. And then to echo your thoughts on the multi-year racing and training strategy, I don't think anyone should necessarily have a set in stone multi-year racing or training step strategy. I think you can have ideas, but in anyone's life, whether they're planned big changes or just regular life changes, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. So I think you have ideas. You can have a general like thoughts on where you want to be headed, but I think you, everyone should have some flexibility in their schedule and be able to react to changes. Well, look at us we did it even without all of the, all of those life experiences. So if anyone else has questions for us, you can send them at any time to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and Haley and I will take a stab at them for you. And Haley, we do have an interview this week and would you like to introduce our guest? Yes. Today's guest is Kelly Filno and Kelly is someone that Alyssa and I both go way, way back with to our age group racing days. We were all racing age group at the same time in the, uh, I guess early 2010s. Is that what you call them? <laughs> so, uh, we were, you know, on the age group circuit, Kelly is no stranger to uh, the podium in Kona, the age group podium in Kona. I think she was there a couple times and since turning pro in probably around the same time as me, 2012, I would guess she has raced all over the world. She's been on the podium and third place finish at Ironman Vichy in France. She is also a coach and she coaches some top age groupers, one of which includes her twin sister, Megan. So it's kind of a cool story about, you know, her and her sister and, you know, her racing and her coaching and just general life of a triathlete coming up right after a couple words from our sponsors. Crave Jerky is back as a sponsor of the Iron Women podcast. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, and contains all natural ingredients. Crave meat snacks are made with tender gourmet cuts of meat and crafted flavors with elevated yet simple ingredients. 
My favorite flavors include sweet chipotle beef, black cherry barbecue pork, and chili lime beef. You can try one of Crave's bold, tender flavors when you use the code IRONWOMEN to get 20% off at CraveJerky.com. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. So Kelly, I saw you a couple weeks ago at Ironman 70.3 Augusta, but since then you've been on basically a halfway around the world trip racing Ironman Taiwan and then coaching and cheering at the Ironman World Championships in Kona. So I want to start with Taiwan where you finished sixth. Can you tell us about the race and was this your first time racing in Asia? It was. It was actually my first time ever going to Asia. So it was quite the experience and it was just absolutely amazing, the culture there. And it was just, everyone was so chill and relaxed and so nice. And actually I didn't have my luggage at all for the first, I think, 40 hours or my bike. So that was kind of a disaster. So I literally had, I think I was wearing the same outfit until I finally found like some Nike clothes that I could <laughs> purchase on the island because you had to fly um like take basically take another charter plane to get to the actual race. So it was just like logistically pretty challenging to get there. Um, but yeah, the, the day was after I got, you know, all my luggage and my bike and stayed pretty relaxed before the Ironman itself was, yeah, just so different than kind of what you experienced over in America and everything. It was just super chill. Um, but it was interesting because just little things that you take for granted, (laughs) Like the bathrooms, there were, I'm not even kidding. There were four bathrooms near the race start and you know how many people are competing in Ironman races. And I was down there, like I got my bike ready and everything so early. So I was down there at like 5.15 and there was no toilet paper anywhere. And the the bathrooms were like, you're sitting on the ground, you know? (laughs) So it's just like a culture shock. So different. The the Asian toilets. (laughs) Yeah. Those were a lot. I've experienced that before. (laughs) So it was interesting, but yeah, the race itself, we had a typhoon in the area in the Pacific somewhere. So it just caused like a ton of, well, the waves were actually four foot. And so I was, you know, Haley, I'm not a swimmer at all. <laughs> remember from Kona? Uh, Do you remember that? that <laughs> yes. I remember uh, Kelly from listeners, Kelly and I once finished as age groupers, 30 seconds apart at the Ironman world championships. What was that swim time? How much? But I think I had like a 20 or 25 (laughs) minute lead on you out of the swim. So you can guess how Kelly bikes and runs. (laughs) (laughs) We finished only 30 (laughs) seconds apart. (laughs) Oh yeah, that was awesome. Um, Okay. But you, your swim has come a long way since those days. That was a long time ago. It's come a long, it's come, it's made progress, but not quite as much as your run has made progress. (laughs) <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, so, thank you. Yeah. But I probably would have died if we had that swim. I seriously would have. I mean, the waves were so bad. I would have either, either probably died or ended up in Japan. So it was a really good decision to change it into just 400 meters. And then for me, it just made it so much more fun. And it just like put so much more joy back in racing because you guys probably don't experience this too much. But when you come out of the water so far behind, a lot of times it can be so desolate. Like you're, you really have to race like, from um, within and it's hard to pull sometimes um, when you don't have anyone because I'm like a competitive person I like having people around me to push so this Ironman was awesome because I actually had people to race from the beginning like right out of the water in transition it was like a race in transition to get on the bike so yeah and you know the the bike you had 25 mile per hour winds and it was insane. Like you would literally be looking down and going 11 and a half miles an hour and then 35 miles an hour on flat terrain. So it's just something where you had to stay really mentally tough and not really let the metrics kind of dictate your mental state at all. And yeah, the run, I mean, you're running on the equator. So Alyssa, I think it would be an awesome race for you. It's such a suffer fest and you just have to be so strong mentally. So yeah, it was, it was a hard day, but 
I, I like the hard races. I, I mean, I just feel like you get so much more from yourself um, and have to, you know, pull pretty deep when you're in that, that much state of pain. So, yeah. I definitely do enjoy racing in Asia because of kind of the, the wild card of conditions that you can get thrown out with like some wild dogs on the course or, you know, the strange bathroom situation yeah, or <laughs> monkeys or whatever. And this race, you know, I've always felt like over there, honestly, like they treat the pros quite a bit like celebrities, like more than anywhere else I've been to, especially in North America, the kind of community of triathletes out there really seems to admire the yeah. professional athletes and hold yeah. them in high esteem. And this is one where it looks like more pro women actually finish than the men. So did you find right. that there was a good bit of attention on the women and, you know, was that kind of a focal point for the community there? Yeah, there, it was amazing. I mean, because you definitely have, a, it's more male dominant for sure. And so seeing the female pros around, there's just definitely a lot more reverence. I feel like than you know, if you're just, typically in the States kind of racing and a lot more people kind of just come up to you and, you know, talk to you. So I feel like I met a lot more of the amateurs than I would like in a typical Ironman. And they're just kind of fascinated with just being a professional triathlete. And so I don't know, I love like that element of just getting to know, you know, people from Asia and India and just meeting new friends from, you know, different parts of the world too. And yeah, and they knew I, I felt bad because I wanted to be able to communicate a little better, but you know, they were so sweet and knew their new English so well. And, um, a lot of times, yeah, I mean, they were kind of embarrassed. I feel like trying to talk to them like, Hey, well, you guys know you're, I mean, I, I can't speak Japanese or Chinese right now. So I am super impressed that we're able to have this nice conversation. And I also love like the finish line atmosphere too. It was obviously so different and it's just a much smaller race too. And so with the announcer, like knew all about, I mean, knew about us and would every time we, it was a four loop run course. So you were literally going around, like it was probably a four and a half mile radius that you were doing the marathon. in. so you were always like passing the finish line and, you know, passing the main hotel where the spectators were. And so people kind of, I feel like they even got to know you during the race when the announcers like, saw you pass by for the what 12th time. <laughs> and Kelly, you kind of mentioned, you know, how, how you race where you are usually coming out of the water a bit behind and then working your way up. How do you stay in the race mentally? Like what do you have any tricks or, you know, mantras or anything that keep you going? Or do you just have so much confidence in your run that you just, you know, you know, the day isn't over until you hit the, you know, the run and then the finish line and a lot can change. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question because I feel like a lot of times, I mean, just going from amateur to pro, like, I feel like as you guys know, like as an amateur, it's just like you're, you win all the time. And I improved like drastically as soon as I started the sport. And then now ever since, you know, I mean, I think on my third Ironman, I went like nine thirty, sub nine thirty, And, and so from that point on, it, it was like, I just like expected things to kind of like keep escalating and like improving like that. But now like I'm not, my gains are so minimal that it's frustrating, but it's almost something that like only I can see myself like getting better and improving. But at the same time, like that does, you know, affect kind of like your mental state when you are racing too, because you know, I'm struggling when I'm competing against like people like you that, you know, we're all American swimmers and we're in the same field. And, you know, when you're just a few minutes back, like I, it is a game changer when you're kind of out there solo and, uh, or, or when you're not. And we, when I can make that next pack, like I feel like in Taiwan, like I was actually able to, you know, I, Sue was behind me for the first 56 miles and then she time trialed and I couldn't keep up with her. But for me, that was so much fun, like actually having a person to race with, whereas normally for the first 56 miles, I might not see, you know, a pro really. So it's, it's almost like you have to be so mentally strong, but sometimes when you're, you know, always kind of like fighting, you lose some of that self-efficacy too, you know, and what enables you to gain that is winning. And it's much harder to win when you're, you know, racing from the, on a professional level, but that it's all like catch 22. Cause that's how you do gain more of that confidence and that mental toughness. But I don't know. I feel like I was a tennis player in college and you have so many opportunities, like 
you know, I mean, I had so many moments in my matches where I would literally be down the set and like four or five, oh, even a couple of times. And it's like anything can can change the momentum of the match. So it's almost like you have to persevere and you have to, you know, have that self-confidence and belief in yourself because you can totally turn things around. Just like an Ironman, you know, someone could be doing 715 pace, all of a sudden be walking and, you know, that they're leading the race. And then all of a sudden it's like everything changes too. So it's almost like that mentality that I had in tennis where it's like everything can change in an instant and you just have to focus on staying in that moment and really just not letting the past affect you because I can be frustrated with like, oh, I swim like 104 or something. And I'm sure the girls are like 53 right now and and just like throw in a towel mentally. But it's like, no, you have to just let like be in that present, just like when when I was playing tennis. Like it's just that one one ball, that one forehand that you're hitting, and then that next stroke, you know, just like one pedal, one foot strike. And then once you get to that next next foot strike like okay I don't know so the, so for me it's been definitely a lot harder mentally to feel like you are coming from behind but at the same time like it's I, it's frustrating when you're you know like when when you are ahead of someone and then someone is coming from behind so I I mean like when Denny passed me at mile 13 like I had nothing in me to like keep moving forward and, and staying with her but you have to have the, those mental tricks too and that belief. So I guess for me, a lot of times, like I just tell myself, everyone is hurting, everyone's suffering right here, right now. So you have to find something bigger than yourself to be competing for. And, you know, each race it's different, but a lot of times I do focus on my friend who was killed cycling and that just, I know she would give anything to just have one more moment to suffer. And that mindset shift getting myself out of my own pain and, you know, thinking outside of myself, like really can just change my perspective. And, you know, from then on, like, I feel like I am able to get more from myself than what I thought was possible because you guys know, like, you know, our bodies like tell us to shut down way before we need to. It's just that protective mechanism. And we always have so much more in us than, you know, what our head is even telling us. So it's just being able to, you know, really kind of push that threshold and, and really keep, you know, pushing when your mind and body are telling you no, but it's like you have so much more in you. So. And Kelly, if our listeners take a look at your race resume, you seem to travel around the world quite a bit and you often have a few of those favorite Ironman races, maybe like Ironman Austria, um, 70.3 races in Vichy, France, and then back in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Do you then strategically pick races based on that swim tactics? Like in a, in a sense, like, do you try and find races maybe like in Chattanooga, right? With a, a down current swim, is that something you're looking for? And are you just trying to kind of shorten that gap for yourself to be, put yourself in the most competitive position you can be? Or is there something else that you like about these race courses that keep you coming back for more? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something for sure that I think about when I'm, you know, race selecting and Chattanooga and Augusta are both like really close for me. And I also have a lot of athletes racing those. So I like racing those, but yeah, it's just the, the harder the swim, the more the gap there is. And, you know, if, especially if you're doing a non-wetsuit ocean swim, you know, that's why I have, I haven't raced in Australia yet my sister's trying to convince me to, but it's, it just definitely like say for instance, in Taiwan, we would have had that swim. There would have been a massive difference between me and the front pack. Whereas, you know, in Augusta, the gap is minimal. And I, I found that out at Texas too, because of, you know, ha- not having that wet too, it does make a big difference. So I need to be a little bit more selective for sure. Um, the swim courses. Yeah. And I like familiarity too. That makes, I mean, just, I've done Austria a bunch and I, I went this year by myself to it and I just feel so comfortable, um, in the, in Clark and Fort and know the area. And, you know, this swim is phenomenal. It's a beautiful lake. You can like see your catch and yeah, it's just much, I don't know. I mean, because I did not know how to swim when I first started triathlon, like I literally, I don't think, I think I taught myself how to swim 2,500, 25 yards across the swimming pool. And 
I think my first Ironman, I did a 10.17 with a 1.17 swim. So, I mean, it was like a death crawl trying to get to, you know, and it was an ocean swim and it was scary. So, I mean, I've overcome a lot of fear with it and now I'm comfortable, but I just, I, um, it's been a process. It, it definitely hasn't happened overnight. I mean, I feel like my first few years in the sport, like I seriously was fearful every time I was swimming in the, in the oceans. <laughs> well, Kelly, you mentioned that you are a coach and one of your coach athletes, I believe is your sister, your twin sister, Megan. And from Taiwan, you actually traveled directly to Kona to support her, um, where she was racing as an age grouper. So Megan had a fantastic day. She finished third in the 35 to 39 age group. And, but I want to hear about your perspective of the race. Were you mostly focused on Megan and the age group race, or did you get to catch parts of the pro race as well? I actually didn't really get to see any of the pro race. I saw a few of the pros like Jenanette, Sarah on the bike, Beth McKenzie. And then other than that, because I was trying to basically follow my sister and I actually drove out to Waikaiola and saw, um, saw her going out and then coming back in. So I kind of, I basically missed most of the entire pro race and really didn't even see any of the female or male pros, which was crazy. But yeah, so I was mainly just focused on kind of that amateur race. And how were the conditions? Was it like what everyone said? I wasn't there. So I'm really curious. I mean, I was watching online and everyone's talking about how there's no wind and it's so much cooler than normal. And was it really, you know, was it like that? You've been to Hawaii many times. So you've been out there when it was blowing really hard. And did you think they were, you know, were they the record breaking conditions that everyone said they were? So the wind for sure, like the bike course was insane. It was absolutely perfect. And I mean, even climbing hubby, the time, like you didn't really have the typical crosswind and terrible headwind and everything. And so, yeah, it made for a really fast bike, but I was so hot when I was spectating and when I was doing my Sherpa duty, it felt really hot. It felt typical. I mean, you did have cloud coverage for probably towards the end of the bike, probably the start of the pro run and then it got a lot hotter so I would say like probably the the start of the pro race the with the cloud cloud coverage it was much more bearable but then once that sun came out I mean it's typical Hawaii yeah and Kelly if we can go back a few years it was actually you racing and on the age group podium in Kona and now you're in the position of racing as a pro while you watch your twin sister continue to race as one of the top amateurs. What made you decide to take the pro route? That's a good question. Um, I guess, honestly, I just really love a challenge and I think it was, it was actually one race in particular. It was at St. Croix. And I think I had gotten to, I was the first amateur within 15 miles of the bike and it was, it was almost like I was just bored. And I was like, I need something else to like push me because I felt like I wasn't motivated just to like go and get a time. Like I needed someone to push me in, a, in that sense. And so that was like the moment that I was like, man, like maybe, I mean, I never had the desire when I first, or the goal when I first started triathlon to go pro. But then once I got to that point, like in a race, it was that, you know, the, during that, that race that I felt like I just needed something to push me to get myself to, to the next level. Cause I felt like, you know, I, yeah, I needed that challenge and I don't know where, yeah. So it was definitely, I mean, I still wasn't a good swimmer at that point, but I felt like, you know, my bike and then my run could at least be somewhat competitive and, you know, I thought this one would come around 10,000 hours. You know, I feel like I've hit that 10,000 hour roll. So I'm just waiting for that breakthrough. <laughs> but yeah, my sisters never had the desire. So we're pretty opposite in a lot of things. And yeah, it's been, it's been interesting kind of, um, I mean, she gets asked all the time if she's ever going pro. She had such a fabulous year this year. Yeah. But I don't think she has the confidence, which this year, I mean, I, I feel like, She's developed, she has definitely developed more confidence and it's showing in her performances, but yeah, I mean, that it's something that it's, it's interesting because like we train together all the time and, um, I think it's been great for her to, to slowly develop from that mental standpoint too. And I don't know, just being a twin, like it's, it's, 
hard because you're constantly being compared to each other, society comparisons all the time. And, and um, from, you know, doing sports when we were five years old until now, I mean, we're in each other's shadow all, all the time. So I think that also has a lot to do with, you know, where she is and where I am and what path we've taken to the pressure from society. Kelly, you, you mentioned that you coach your sister, but do you have a coach or do you coach yourself as well? Yeah, I had, I had a coach for the last few years and he was awesome and it, it was great, but I just really started realizing I need to work on my swim. I need a little bit more handholding with swim instead of like long distance. So I'm kind of like going through some changes with that so I can, you know, spend the off season, like working like locally and getting some technical help and hopefully that'll make a difference and kind of just like doing things differently this off season. Like I want to get back to my roots with like running and I have some fun, like I want to try and go sub five minutes in a mile and do something totally different than, you know, long distance training just because I don't know. I mean, I feel Ironman, like you get slow and I just want to get some speed back and um, try some things new, especially I am more like I took a genetic test and I'm actually more power based than endurance based anyways. And I've been training so long, like from an endurance type standpoint. And so with my background, I feel like it'll be just like fun to mix it up and try to do, you know, like 200s on the track, 400s on the track and kind of mix, do some completely different training in the off season and pull my sister along too for that. Cause she loves the speed, but yeah, she's, it's just annoying training with her sometimes because we can do workouts together and she just never gets tired. I'm like dying on the couch and she's totally fine. Like, I just don't understand her body. Like we're twins. We should be able to recover the same way, but she has something I don't. Uh, that is pretty fantastic. It's funny how you can have the same genetics and still be quite different. But you mentioned your your background in sport being tennis and running, and you were actually on both teams at Davidson College in North Carolina, and then you ran an additional year at Duke University. And earlier you mentioned one of your teammates at Duke, a incredible runner and triathlete named Sa- Sally Meyerhoff. And Sally died tragically in, in 2011 after a collision with a vehicle during a training ride. So anyone who follows your blog or Instagram can see that you are very committed to honoring Sally's memory. What made Sally so special and how does she continue to influence your training and racing today? Sally, she definitely influences um, just every part of this journey. And she had a mantra that was called relentlessly positive. And for most of my races, I put that on my my wrist or my um, forearm so I can see it when I'm suffering. And she was just, she just was, I loved how she just lived her life, like being a hundred percent confident in who she was and just really was able to, you know, not, not letting any outside influences affect like who, who she was to the core. And she just lived her life, like going after exactly what she wanted and her dreams. And I mean, she actually was, she had a, the 10 mile record, American record, and then started triathlon and was, you know, going to go professional. And it was actually the year that she was tragically hit and people were like focused, telling her to focus just only on running. And, you know, she wanted to create her own path and she thought she could be the best in triathlon and also, you know, reach her goals in the marathon. And for me, like just watching her when I was at Duke, she just was a worker horse. She did, you know, a hundred percent effort every day when she was out there and she knew how to suffer like no one. And just being able to kind of witness that and be one of her training partners and learn so much about, um, just like how, if you put in the hard work, like it doesn't happen overnight. And she had a ton of highs and lows. And what I learned from her is you have to keep your lows high and your highs low. And that keeps you humble in your successes. And then when things aren't going well, it also keeps you, you know, able to learn from your failures and learn from your hard times. And, you know, that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned from her is, you know, just being able to keep that, you know, even keel balance mentality. So when I am going through a harder time or I am going through, you know, 
reaching my goals too. It's like, you're always in that balanced state. And, you know, and for me, when I'm, when I'm racing, like, and I am suffering, like, I always think of what would it be like if she had this one more opportunity to race. And, you know, a lot of times like racing is hard racing. We're suffering out there, but we're doing it and we love it and we enjoy it. And it just keeps it in perspective because, you know, every, every day is a gift. And I mean, I know every day that I'm out there riding, like your, your life is online and it's scary. And, you know, but I'm doing what I love every day. And, you know, she died doing what she loved. And yeah. So for me, like that's, that's the thing that I often turn to when I am struggling in a race and just lifts me up to know that like this moment right here is something that, you know, we're never going to have, have again. And it, it is a complete gift and a blessing to, to be here and, and to be living. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think about her all the time and, you know, I just, I wish I had her to train with. We were actually in air. I was in Arizona and I was going to have lunch with her the day after she had died. I was out training in Tucson and she was living in Tempe at the time. So yeah, just being on my bike just is a constant reminder. Yeah. Of, of her. So. Well, thanks for sharing Sally's memory with us. I know I never, met her, but I remember when that happened in 2011. And I guess a lot of our, our peers, you know, kind of grew up in the sport with her and she was a very special person to people. And I think your words put it very, very, you know, nicely that how we can all remember her and hopefully that inspiration keeps getting shared forward. So thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your athletes. We did mention that you coach your sister, but she's just one of your many Phil No coaching athletes. So you're based in North Carolina. And I am guessing that many of the your athletes also live maybe in that area and were directed directly impacted by the recent hurricanes in the southeast from storm damage and the canceled races and all of that. So what do you do as a coach when this happens to one of your athletes who has spent months or longer training for a race only to have it canceled a few weeks before the event? And it's something that's out of everyone's control, but it is a big moment for them because, you know, a lot of the amateurs, especially they don't have the ability to kind of just move to plan B and race again the next weekend, if that's possible or something like that. So what have you been talking to your athletes about with that? Yeah, it's been something where we ha- we've taken case by case actually, and um, like for instance, we had one athlete that was going to be doing Chattanooga, and he ended up wanting to do the full Ironman because that's what he trained for. So he ended up canceling his reservations and drive driving all the way up to Maryland, and got to Maryland Friday, and the race was Saturday, and Ironman let him sign up and he ended up racing Maryland. And even though we had spent, I mean, we had like a 90 minute meeting talking about like the specific Hills in Chattanooga and, you know, how he was going to be doing, you know, like a very specific race plan for the bike and for the run, like literally based on the course. And I know that course so well. So in training, like there was so much specificity towards it. And then Maryland is like the antithesis, you know, completely flat and windy and everything. So yeah, we just literally had to throw that plan out the window, but I was telling him how much strength he got from, you know, training in, you know, middle of the day humidity through the hills and everything. And he ended up having a massive PR at Maryland. So that was like a change just because he wanted to do the full Ironman, but we had a lot of athletes planning on doing North Carolina. And so there was actually a race called the, uh, in Tennessee, like the same, the same weekend. So we had a few switch to, that race, we had um, one athlete switch to Daytona later in the challenge Daytona later in the year. So, and then we had, sadly, we had two athletes decide to just focus on um, running. And so they ended up not doing the triathlon, but it's really just something where you have to focus case by case on and really just focus on, okay, so yes, this is something that's completely beyond our control, just like in race day, like you're going to be having elements upon elements that, you know, is not directly within your control. And if we're just spending our days leading up to the races, being completely worried about, 
you know, getting a flat tire or cramping on the run, all you can do is focus on, you know, the controllables and the fact that the race isn't canceled. Okay, well, let's have plan B. You know, for instance, one of my athletes is just going to New Orleans next week. So same kind of training. It's flat and fast course. But it's it's just we have to stay positive in it because obviously, you know, the devastation we've experienced some of it even locally here. And, you know, so trying to keep it in perspective for them and, and, you know, instead of being like, Oh, so frustrating. Like I can't race this half Ironman, but think about the town and that have been affected by all the hurricanes and, um, you know, just having that perspective shift too, instead of like, you know, how triathlon can often be just like selfish and like be about us and everything, but it's like, let's get outside of ourselves for a little bit. And, you know, there are ways around this and, you know, Ironman has made the best decision possible. So kind of just being willing to being a little bit more flexible and there's lessons learned in that because everything's not going to always go according to your plan and not only in sport, but in life too. So being able to kind of like bounce off from, you know, something not happening according to that specific type a, you know, athlete has that plan and has that goal, but it's like, okay, well let's, you know, this is uh, definitely something that might be a little obstacle, might be a little roadblock, but there's a way that we can make the best of the situation that um, we are confronted with. And so that's what, you know, a lot of times it's, it's more like lessons are, are learned through the process because it's, it's frustrating when things aren't going according to your plan, but there's always a way around it. So, yeah, I mean, we have athletes completely doing different things, but um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're handling it quite well. The lessons from sport that can teach you things for life. I think that's something I'm always trying to remind myself and always trying to keep, continue to grow from that being like, Hey, this is going to help me in life, (laughs) but, um, it is a good reminder. (laughs) Kelly, what's next for you and where can we follow along? I, I know you mentioned some of the shorter stuff off season, and I believe you and Megan actually have a YouTube channel as well. We do. Yes. We just started a YouTube channel. It's called Phil No Twins. And we make fun of each other a lot on it and you can see our completely different personalities on that. And yeah, we also just Instagram, Kelly Philno, Philno coaching and yeah, my sister's name's Megan and yeah. So, and is it off season for you? Are we going to see you on any more start lines or was Taiwan that was it? And now we start heading to 2019. Yeah. It's off season for me and I, and Megan is definitely off season for too. So yeah, it was nice being able to find some recovery in Hawaii instead of feeling like you have to train and enjoy the beach and enjoy the surroundings and enjoy being a normal person. You know, Ironman cool. I can't imagine coaching people at an Ironman is recovery. <laughs> that sounds really hard, but maybe oh my gosh. World. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, cause I was out there. I actually, I had one of my athletes, he's 75 years old and he finished six in his age group. So it was so much fun seeing him. It was his first world championship. He just started the sport two years ago and had a motorcycle accident that almost like, I mean, kind of it, it, it's such a blessing that he is actually even walking, let alone or running, let alone walking. So it was just amazing to see him just finish too. But wow. Yeah, a successful was, day. Congrats coach Kelly. Yeah. And do you guys know when you Sherpa, you like walk? I mean, I was so tired. You walk like 15 miles. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's harder than the Ironman. I'm just kidding. The but alternative to that though, Kelly is so I was out there too. And I, ended up buying a bike from target for super cheap to be able to, um, have on race day to get around to see athletes. And I could not for the life of me pedal that Huffy fast enough to keep up with some of the athletes in their running pace. It was so hard. It was like a full on workout. I literally was like, I think I would rather be running right now rather than trying to pedal this darn Huffy. But so I think you're right. Like either way, spectating is, is its own beast. And it's definitely, I think, you know, I count it as some kind of a training day. I'm not sure what. Yeah. I counted it as a training day. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, and enjoy your off season. And we will look forward to following your races in 2019. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Good luck to y'all. Well, Haley, 
Kelly's five minute or sub five minute mile off season goal has me thinking about mile PRs. And what is your mile PR? Do you even know? Have you ever run a mile race before? So little known fact, I actually did run the mile a few times in high school track. And I think that might still be my PR. I'd have to go back and look. I think it might be like 519, I want to say. Um, maybe it's 509, something like that. I don't think I, I never broke five minutes. I know I never broke five minutes. Well, I'll go with 519 because then I get to be faster than you because my mile PR is, I think, 514. But I will say there's an asterisk there because it was definitely, it was like the Westminster Main Street Mile and it is major downhill mile and it's so fun and you run to these ice cream sandwiches at the bottom but 514 downhill that was pretty good and downhill mile with ice cream at the bottom that sounds like the uh, ideal race for me i need to sign up for that westminster mile you call it <laughs> westminster mile i think it's westminster, westminster main street mile i think that's it I'll, I'll look it up and send it to you i think it just happened so we might have to wait till 2019 but either way, I'll give you a heads up. Maybe it'll like align with Augusta or something like that when you're on the East Coast next year or something like that. And then you can just come knock both out and we can both get new mile PRs because I think that was a few years ago and I'm, I'm sure I can best that now. Yes, let's do it. And then we'll celebrate with some ice cream. This sounds like a good plan, but good, great. You know, good luck to Kelly on breaking that five minute barrier. And yeah, I wonder if I could do five minutes, sub five downhill, downhill. I think maybe I could. I think you could. I, I have faith, but maybe when it's your off season, we'll just have you go for that too. And then we can see how it goes. There we go. Yes. When is my off season? I'm not exactly sure. Well, I'm coming soon. I think it's always snowy during my off season, but for anyone who is still interested in the outspoken women in triathlon summit, the actual summit is sold out. But if you go to the outspoken uh, Instagram page, you can get the link for the wait list on there. So if you're still interested in that summit, um, you want to be on the wait list in case there's an opening, go uh, click on that link and, um, you know, and see if you can get yourself on the wait, wait list. That summit is coming up November 30th through December 2nd in Tempe, Arizona. All right, Haley. Well, I'm happy to be home and back to our regularly scheduled recordings. So I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am. Get ready for the chorus. I am here, now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong, now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live, feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Thanks again to our sponsors, Crave Jerky, FGC Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Smash Fest Queen. Queen!